0: Oh Jig's got the uh, the Larry King microphone going on.
1: <laughs> <He> Need <laughs> the suspenders though, man.
0: <laughs> okay
1: everybody. no joke right
0: mm-hmm. all
1: right welcome everybody to the first episode of jordan ain't no joke the last dance podcast follow-up podcast my name is sam yunan i host a show called my summer layer a podcast called my summer layer and i hang out uh with all kinds of cool unique creative people you can follow that at uh, my pal sammy for all three and it's on girth radio so and in terms of uh, my Early introductions to Jordan. I actually got to see Jordan play in Detroit twice with Joe Dumars, against Joe Dumars, because Toronto had just started up. Uh, We all went to high school together, and Toronto had just started up. And I got to go to Detroit to see um, a number of games there and hang out there. And two of the games I got to see were in the Palace of Auburn Hills, which, of course, has that whole, like, history with the bad boys. This was towards the end of the era, just as they were getting Grand Hill and Lindsay Hunter and that stuff. But still – He was still there and the building was electric. Like whenever Jordan the Bulls would show up, it would be like all like it was preparing for battle, preparing for war. It was pretty tight, actually. That's one of my earlier Jordan memories.
0: Nice. I'm Denny, Denny Chan. I live in Toronto. I work in the television industry as a colorist. And I am a basketball enthusiast. Been watching since 1988. And As a kid, I didn't really enjoy sports that much. But hearing the the name Michael Jordan floating around school, decided to check it out and got hooked ever since.
2: Great. That's awesome, man. So this is exciting, guys, uh, to finally be on a podcast with uh, my pal Sammy. Thanks for having me. Uh, A little about myself, I'm a filmmaker and television producer working at a creative agency in Toronto. Um, uh, In recent years, I've been a basketball fan in passing. Uh, hopping on and off the bandwagon when life permits. Uh, but the 90s Bulls were a significant part of my formative years. So the last uh, docu series that we're going to talk about has me hooked, and, and I'm excited to join you here to talk about it. Uh, my earliest memories of uh, basketball, I mean, I guess it would have started in the 80s, watching, um, I guess, the Lakers in the 80s uh, was probably my earliest memories uh and then uh like denny mentioned uh all of a sudden this guy jordan comes out of the ether and and just explodes onto the scene and um you know that was basically my guy since uh since i guess the la- end of the 80s and into the 90s um so yeah i'm really excited to talk about uh, this uh this series with you guys
1: all right as you all know, the, the last dance, the crew was following, the camera crew was following around the, uh, the, it was like a rock and roll band, more than a basketball team at that point. When you first heard about the this documentary, did you have any impressions? Were you getting excited? You kind of alluded to this a little bit, Jig.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, when I first heard about it, to me, it was like, okay, this is being pitched as the Mike, the Michael Jordan documentary that we've all hoped for and wished for. Um, you know, after, after seeing the first two episodes, you know, it, clearly it's not just about Mike. It's about a moment in time uh, uh, for that team as a whole. Uh, obviously, you know, Michael Jordan is the center of that story. Um, but uh, it, it seems like it's going to be a, a much bigger palette uh, in terms of the storytelling than just uh, the, the, you know, the man uh, himself. Um, so those were my early impressions. Well, I thought it was just going to be a Michael Jordan documentary, but it's a much bigger story.
0: I, was, uh, I wasn't I was sure what to expect. I was just excited because the man's pretty reclusive and he lets his game do the talking, doesn't let the mouth talk, at least not to the public. So, you know, it just wants, you know, growing up you watch every home video, every like NBA home video possible on Michael Jordan. And so it kind of feels like, well, I'm not sure what, you know, what we uh, don't already know. But it, it was good to hear that it was a a camp. All those times when you watch the games, you just saw all those camera crews following them around. So you always wonder what happened to that stuff. So now that's amazing that it's uh, presented. I hope so we will get to see more.
1: A lot of NBA guys, when they retire, they end up uh, in television. Are, um, they're kind of still active in the game. Uh, John Paxson, who's on this team for a little bit, he was the general manager, run that team into the ground. Um, a lot of players, they kind of still stick around and still hang around. You can see Dominique Wilkins still hanging out with the Hawks and stuff like that. Jordan kind of just, he was there, but like you said, he didn't really say much. It's like He's like uh, Batman or something, just like in the he, city.
2: He, he just, I mean, he left it all on the floor, right? I, I just, you know, he didn't need the money. Like, you know, a lot of guys kind of needed that, that second career to keep things going but michael jordan just kind of left it all on the floor and obviously you know the the other side of michael jordan that could be an entire other podcast is you know the the jump man and the nike collaborations and and what a I mean that's a billion dollar industry that doesn't get a lot of analysis uh, i guess either but he doesn't need it. He didn't need to do anything until now, I guess. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it, how much we get uh, from him in the series. The first two episodes, uh, you know, he, he seemed pretty ca- candid and open. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to get out of Taylor him.
1: Tequila will now, do so. that to a man. Yeah. Is it tequila <laughs> that he's drinking? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have to say, when I saw the trailers, uh, I couldn't help but notice that he was smoking cigars and drinking uh, what I thought it was scotch at the time, but it's, it's, uh, we've since uh, come to learn that it's tequila, his own brand, of course. Um, and I just knew that, okay, this is it. This is confession
0: time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got some stories to tell.
0: It's like red wine for Sammy.
1: Oh, no, that's a different podcast for another day. <laughs> for the first episode, then, we'll start off with some general impressions. Uh, was there anything that kind of stood out or was there something new that you learned or something that was shocking, something that was rude?
2: Well, I mean, I think for the first episode, what you know, there's a quote from uh, one of these sports writers. I think uh, Will Bond, and, and you know, his quote was kind of encompasses what Michael Jordan was at the time. You know, I think the quote was like, at that point, Michael Jordan's already the ultimate sports alpha male. I mean, the only comparisons that I recall being apt were to Babe Ruth and Muhammad Ali. That's it. That's the list. I mean, that's quite a quote. When when I heard that, I was like. Yeah, that pretty much encompasses uh, what Michael Jordan was and, and is uh, to sports, not just basketball. So uh, that was a pretty striking way to sort of start the the, the film, you know, the, or the, the episode.
0: You miss that, though. Oh, You miss that in your athletes nowadays, right? You just want that, the dude who put it all on his shoulders and just, well, you know, it's almost like uh, politically incorrect to say, be the man, but. Just take on all the burden, trick and all the it's not a burden. It's just he sees responsibility at like completely different level than most. It's
2: what warriors do. It's what what you know, when you're on the field, like there's no time to hug and be nice. It's like you've got a job to do and just do it. And and you could tell that from some of the jabs he was taking at at other players during those practice sessions, which I'm sure we'll get into later um but that quote to me is just uh and I, you know obviously i would never heard that quote before until now and it just really summed up everything about the man
1: jordan also had a line too in the doc i think it was in the first episode uh where he said my vow was to make the playoffs every single year yep. and he said that but i'm like it was clear too that the organization didn't have make the same vow or the same commitment <laughs> right as we saw with the second year so interesting because it's like he came in and this is what you're saying denny like i'm gonna be the man i'm gonna do this like we're gonna make the playoffs every year and then hopefully eventually we'll get the championships but i'm like i'm committing to this like he put it out at the beginning uh, that this this wasn't like an evolution this was like i'm doing this i hope you guys are gonna come with me if not it will be tears <laughs>
2: <laughs> well i mean and that to your point sammy about the the team and and Sort of management and the team not being on the same page. Uh, the first episode pretty much sets up, you know, Jerry Krause as as the antagonist, as as sort of the villain of the piece, and it's uh, it's pretty brutal right off the bat. I mean, we're only that's only the first episode, and you know, there, he's the little man. He's got the I think someone called him the the little man problem. He has a little man problem. And I'm like, ooh, that's rough. And then you just see Jordan insulting his boss to his face. It's pretty incredible. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's kind of amazing how they set that up pretty quickly. I guess, I guess you know, with the framework of, it, of this piece being the 97-98 season, they did a good job of setting up sort of all the players pretty quickly, just in terms of the drama of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, Kraus unfortunately died a couple of years ago. So he doesn't get to, like, it's kind of mean, because they've been sitting on this footage for years. <laughs> so they could have put this out at any time. Uh, but Krause, unfortunately, is gone. So he doesn't get to, like, defend himself or make, like, explain his choices.
2: Yeah, I mean, but I also wonder if if they reached out to him while he was alive, or maybe he was in poor health when they were shooting. I, I don't know. It is possible that he just didn't want to participate. But uh but yeah it'll be interesting to see how they handle this if, if they're setting him up as the villain you know he's not there to defend himself and you know i mean history has shown that he he obviously did some pretty terrible things but uh, man those guys were rough on him The die pills insult
1: <laughs> that goes along too we're gonna denny and i know too from back in the day they were so mean to tony kukoc oh <laughs> And you saw a bit of a teasing of that in the yeah. second episode too, man. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, he was pretty rough with him during that practice session.
0: I mean, I'm hoping the doc, you know, as it moves on, it kind of dives deeper into Jerry Krause a bit more too. You know, I know it's because everybody's just reacting to the first two episodes, and let's see if uh, there's any form of redemption. No, well, if not the not redemption, but at least um, hindsight from Michael. Not that
2: it matters. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it'll be, that's what I, what I was saying earlier, it'd be interesting to see how they handle it, because you're right, he, he has passed on and, and he's not there to defend himself. Reinsdorf is there, who I think, you know, bears some of the responsibility for all the management decisions. He seems pretty eager to make Krauss the fall guy as well. That
1: guy's going to talk.
2: Yeah, I mean, Reinsdorf, I think he's kind of the evil emperor to Krause's Darth Vader.
0: <laughs> That's kind of it. That is kind of the job description though, right? No, That's day to day and he's responsible for the players and their movement.
2: Oh, no, no hundred percent. Uh, I, I do agree with that, but it's just the tone of Reinsdorf's uh, interviews at this point. Anyways, in the doc, it's kind of like, like that, that moment where he's like, well, I mean, I told Pippin don't sign a long-term contract. It's like, did you really, why would you, Wouldn't it benefit you that he did sign this long-term contract? Like you seem to be doing a little bit of revisionist history here, but I don't know. We'll see.
1: It was, it was crazy when you look at the contracts, because this was like, especially for Pippen, this was one of the cheapest championships <laughs> that you could buy as an owner. He bought the Bulls for cheap because they were a dead end team. And then he got these like six championships out of it. Paying the players basically next to nothing, so he did well for himself
2: that's yeah, true. I mean nowadays I mean you know pe people are buying franchise players to come to their team so they can win a championship, so it's kind of like yeah, what they got for what would cost billions today uh, I mean I guess maybe it was a great business decision in the long
1: <laughs> Danny, did you appreciate Pippin did you fully appreciate Pippin in real time
0: um yeah, but I think you kind of did it in a slightly – in a denial kind of way. Like, you saw it, especially, like, in the first championship when they went up against the Lakers. And, uh, you know, Jordan, I think, you know, was in game one, he guarded Magic, but then they sick picked Pippin on him, and it, like, it really changed uh, the tone of things. And it's kind of like – I think that's when I really appreciated him. Like, Pippin would have good nights – you know, from 1989 to 90, and you can tell that he was rising, but he still put all the focus on Jordan. And then we saw Pippin Guardian magic, and the way he did it, it's was like, oh, damn. And then as the 90s moved on, you saw how badass he was getting. Connewing. Yeah, like so <laughs> many times, yeah. but, and um, so you, you kind of knew it, but you just, you, it was hard to shift your attention to it fully with full great appreciation,
2: and I, I think also, uh, you know, really appreciating that number two on a team—it's something you learn to do as you get older. Yeah, I mean, I think we were, you know, we were young at the time, and we were, you know, dazzled by by Michael Jordan, and, and you don't really think of what it takes to to help someone like that shine, right? Uh, it's just—I think that comes with maturity right it's like all these kids now think who probably love lebron uh, and not really respect uh, you know the rest of the team around him
0: i have no respect for Kyrie. just as a note <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a different podcast uh, i have no respect for <laughs> Kyrie podcast
2: <laughs> i think that podcast would probably do well <laughs>
1: yeah, especially too once i found that um they got rodman jordan took up so much oxygen in the room and even now, he's such a charismatic figure. And then once he got Rodman, Rodman had all the air, and he was loud and was punching cameraman on the side. Like, he also sucked up a lot of air. And Pippin's personality is kind of, like, low-key. So he kind of yeah. slipped a little bit through the cracks. Like, I, I agree with you, Denny. Like, you see Pip, what Pippin did in real time, and you understood it. But then looking back, I'm like, man, that guy really was good. Like, he earned his spot as one of the top 50 players <laughs> of the NBA. The 90s was so,
0: it's so hard to kind of um, explain to young people nowadays, but I think people, star power had so much more weight then. You focused on the one person that was like, had all the intangibles who could do everything. And even though Pippin was really very skilled and could hold his own, he didn't have the same killer qualities. He was close. Mm-hmm. But still, he, he, I don't think, he wasn't even able to kind of hold it together uh, when Mike was gone. And as soon as he heard Mike was coming back, like, you can sense the relief in Pippen a bit. There was that one shot, I don't know if you guys ever remember, when Pippen was sitting on the bench. And this was the, one of the, the year that Jordan was gone, or the year and a half. And he put his shoe up to the camera while he was sitting on the bench. And it was, he was wearing a pair of Jordans and he was giving the, like, kind of come here sign, right? That's a, quite a famous image from back in those days when uh, the rumors that Jordan was coming back was happening. So that's the thing. Jordan wouldn't do that. At least not, maybe not publicly. Like if Pippen left and, you know, Pippen suddenly came back, I'm sure Jordan would have been happy. But this documentary showed that Pip was gone for like the first few months of the season and Jordan just said, okay, fuck it. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was just going to say the same thing. You could see right away, like when, when Pippin was out for the surgery, Michael just moved on. He just kept moving forward. And it was like, yeah, we'd love to have him back, but that's not happening. He was, he was, it really showed how pragmatic and what a realist he was. Like, it's like, okay, the situation is what it is. It doesn't matter. We move forward. We're taking that beach, you know, like, um, and, uh, I can see how that could have rubbed a lot of guys the wrong way. And, you know, in a, to, to speak to your point about Pippin, you know, kind of being in the shadow, I mean, how do you, how can you not, when people, at least twice in the first two episodes, I think there were clips of people referring to Michael Jordan as God. I mean, that doesn't happen anymore, right? I mean, so how, do, how does anyone be number two to God, right? Like, he had quite the um, long shadow to sort of live under
1: it's interesting too because what Danny, what you're saying about like the star power from back in the day Tom Brady right now is a goat but he's kind of boring like if you go out <laughs> to dinner with him all you get is dinner <laughs> you don't get this crazy story
0: unless about, the wife comes you know. with him
1: yeah like it's there's nothing I found like as we've kind of gone along Seth Curry is the same uh, Steph Curry is the same way he's a great shooter he's easily one of the best shooters in the history of the NBA that's not an argument then he's also like, all right, you can hang out with him. <laughs> that would be it. Like, uh, you like stuff? Yeah. I like stuff. Like, yeah, it's, that's it's it. Weird.
2: It's a weird, in a weird way. These guys, the, the, the later generation, they've kind of been domesticated. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, which is great for their personal lives and, and I guess for the image of the game. But um, it's not as fun to talk about and doesn't make a, as great a story.
1: Jordan had that cool story, I think it was in the first episode too, when he was a rookie on the Bulls and he was in the hotel rooms and he was looking for all the different players where the rest of the team was. And he walked into the one room and everyone's like doing weed and there's like girls and
2: uh, coke. coke,
1: coke, all kinds of stuff is happening. And he's like, I'm out. I'm like, <laughs> and it, it's also too, like Jordan also recognized preservation, self-preservation because he knew like one scandal all this could like go away. Like if this place gets raided, like even like, you can even hear the furos and voice right now. Like, they might take my tequila, my cigars right now.
2: <laughs> well, it, I mean, it, how incredibly like grounded he would have had to been to say like to himself, well, I'm just as guilty as any of you guys just by being here and just being able to realize that and not succumbing to the peer pressure uh, that most guys would Um his I mean, that says it all, right? Like, I mean, I mean, a lot of that has to do with his family, uh, you know, his his parents and, and the values they must have instilled in him. But um, I mean, can you imagine if, if that had happened? <laughs> we, I think that could have really crushed his um, early uh, start.
0: I think that shows you how laser focused the dude was, even as a young person coming in, right? All the All he cared about was basketball and then it paid
2: dividends. Oh for sure. I mean in between his parents and then you know being coached by Dean Smith I mean he really learned what discipline meant, right? And um I think that really probably boosted his confidence. I think he even says it, it boosted his confidence playing with uh with uh Dean Smith. Um they're playing for Dean Smith and you know that in speaking of confidence this is Something that I think the documentary brings up really nicely, quite crucially, is that how Jordan. There are significant moments that help Jordan build his confidence. With so the
1: beret in Paris.
2: Well, the beret in Paris. I mean, I think that by that point he was full, fully confident in himself. But, it's well, a hard one
1: to pull off, man.
2: It's true, especially that '90s beret, <laughs> or that, or that beanie, the Jordan beanie. Yeah. <laughs> That was a lot uh, of confidence. Well, yeah, it was. But it, it, it there are specific moments where he talks about how certain games uh, had built his confidence uh, to take it to the next level. And even after he'd gotten injured um, in, uh, was it the 80, 80, 80, 80, right, 85, 86? Uh, he goes back to college. He goes back to North Carolina. And he just goes there and rebuilds himself, which – you know, when he comes back, he becomes bigger and better than he ever was. And it, that going away was a another thing where he went off to essentially build his confidence, um, and that's crucial. I mean, I think if if you see them on the court after that, I mean, that was a, I think a turning point for sure.
1: I liked uh, how he said he earned his name from Mike to Michael North Carolina shot in eighty two.
2: Yeah, it's funny because uh, the Scotty. When he was drafted, was Scott Pippen.
1: Yeah, I didn't <laughs> just, like that, man. <laughs> it just so, oh, sounds wrong. so
2: Yeah, it sounds wrong.
0: <laughs> but when you put those two scenarios together, like, already that kind of tells you the difference. Scott preferred, preferred Scotty while Mike became Michael.
1: Bar mitzvah. <laughs>
2: And then, and also, just like when he got to the Bulls, like he he talks about how he decided whoever the, was the team leader, he was going to go after him. And that, to me, is just hilarious. That's some jailhouse street stuff where he attacked the Alpha, become the Alpha. Uh, and within two weeks, they knew that he was the best on the team.
0: Yeah, you know, the thing that surprised me about this uh, series, I mean, since they went back, they didn't talk about the 84 Olympic team. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but when, uh, you know, back, obviously back in the 80s, they were still only using collegiate players. And so then when they were doing a bunch of exhibitions leading up to the 84 Olympics, they faced off NBA players for eight games. Of those eight games, they won every single game against the NBA players. Mm. And Jordan was crushing people. Like, I think, you know, of the eight games, he led scoring in three of the games. But when you kind of watch the, the highlight reels and whatnot, he was just mashing it on people. No, like,
1: no respect for his elders. <laughs> no regard for human life, too, man. No.
2: <laughs> well, I think that probably speaks to what, where the NBA was at that point.
0: This is pre-Olympics exhibition games right. against NBA Right, yeah, eighty-four, right,
2: eighty-four, right, right. right. And
0: we're talking about guys like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, like all, like a lot of the top dudes. And the Olympic team won every game.
1: Wow, Isaiah's when they had his little name card um, underneath it, it, all it said was twelve-time NBA (laughs) All-Star. That was it. He won a couple of championships. (laughs)
2: Yeah, they were being cute with the those lower third names, uh, because Obama was former Chicago resident. Uh, Clinton was a former Alabama, uh, sorry, Arkansas governor.
0: But I think, you know, a lot of people made a big deal of, the, of that. I think the documentary was actually playing to the intelligence of people like, yes, you guys knew they were presidents. But, you know, they're putting into the context of when Jordan was playing in Chicago and you're putting, like, Obama back into that time period, same with Clinton.
2: Oh, totally, yeah. It makes sense. But it it does intentionally or unintentionally end up being pretty funny.
0: Yeah.
1: And we also should pick up, uh, like, speaking of, like, when you were back in the day and going to see those games, we got to talk about that Bulls introduction. With the... uh,
2: With the the Alan Parsons Parsons project. project Yeah, that song.
1: (laughs) Because... This is what you're talking about Denny before when you're saying like the nineties was so iconic was because the NBC picked up uh, the basketball rights, the national bo- basketball rights. And this is again timing because Jordan just won the championship in ninety-one. And NBC had round ball rock, which of course that's like our national anthem <laughs> for basketball. And then What was round ba- what, that what was, was that? the John Tesh one. Dun, 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 dun. Oh right, right, right! That's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. It was John Tesh, man.
0: No, I know it's John Tesh, but I didn't know that was the name of the song.
2: Can yeah. Can you repeat the name again, Sam?
0: Round
1: ball Rock. Wow. That's what it's called.
2: <laughs> the uh, rock. The rock part makes me laugh.
1: Yeah. There's uh John Tesh. He got hired to. I don't know even why they reached out to John Tesh out of all people. But they they reached out to him and they're like, "Yo, we just got the basketball rides. Can you like make a theme song for us?" And he's like, all right. And then uh, he has a story and he has, there's a YouTube video. I can share it with you guys. Put it in for the notes for this. But he he came up with a tune for it and he called his answering machine. and He just like basically hummed it. And you can hear the original like instruction of the song. But it was those two songs like that, Alan Parsons, the Sirius and the uh, Round Ball Rock. Like once you hear those two, you're like, oh yeah, it's It's on. Night,
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of the Alan Parsons project and, and the music, uh, I'd love to touch on on the soundtrack to the series. It's been amazing. Uh, obviously, the Alan Parsons project is kind of the climactic music cue, I think, in episode. One, one closed right? it out. One closed it out, yeah. But, I mean, the use of uh, hip-hop that tracks with sort of the era as well is is fantastic. Um, the My favorite, of course, is the Rakim "Ain't No Joke montage. Uh and um and then of course they do the Mason Puff uh thing off the top of this episode one, yeah. I think.
1: Yeah, With I thought, thought I told you that we won't stop. Yeah,
2: um <laughs> just some great music choices that really set the, the period Forget and the, the tone.
1: Uh, LL. Oh, oh yeah, bad. the LL, LL.
0: yes. <laughs> that <laughs> was episode <laughs> two. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Scoring sixty-three on the playoff game to the LL, I'm bad. I'm like, mmm. Yeah. That's like You know, when they were editing that, like whoever came up with that, whether it's the editor or the director or somebody, whoever came up with it was like, let's use LL for this. Once they scored it in the editing room, they were like, we got it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That must've been a lot of fun to edit to those tracks.
1: Uh, Where do you, where do you hope to see like the series go? Where, like, what do you want to see next? We've kind of already touched upon like Isaiah Thomas. You guys mentioned them a little bit. Bullying Tony Kukoc. I'm looking forward to more of that. Those (laughs) Yeah. are you hoping to see, or where do you, what do you want to see next?
2: Well, I mean, one for me, I mean, one of the other quotes from I think it's episode two, where uh, Michael is saying like, "My innate personality is to win at all costs. If I have to do it myself, I'm I'ma do it. It drives me insane when I can't." Really speaks to the man's like mental toughness and his discipline and his work ethic, and I hope they really dive into that a little more. Um, you do get a taste of it in the first two episodes, but I'd love to see something uh, a little more deeper when it comes to that. Uh stuff that we may have never seen before.
1: Um a great uh Tex Winter uh, story. Tex Winter is one of the assistant coaches on the Chicago Bulls. And uh there was I can't remember what game it was. So he took it over and he won the game. And Tex Winter, when he was walking off the court, Tex Winter said to him, There's no I in team. And Jordan replied, Yeah, but there's one in win. Nice.
2: Um, and yeah, and the other thing is, uh, you know, they've set up Krauss as the villain. I kind of touched on this earlier, but, uh, you know, I, I'd have to wonder if they're going to give Rein, Reinsdorf a pass on this. And uh, in, in is Are they going to sort of push him on some of this, uh, some of the decisions that were made? Because uh, everything that management did at that time just seems greedy and petty. So, you know, uh, I'd love to see them sort of dig into that a bit. And and just to go back to my point about the work ethic in Jordan's, uh, you know, process, I'd love to see something a little more like the stuff in that Kobe documentary, uh, Muse. Uh, have you guys all seen that?
0: No, oh, yeah.
2: Uh, Muse is fantastic. And then there's a Spike Lee movie, uh, Kobe doing work as well. I'd love to see something like that. I mean, I could watch a whole series just on on those aspects of of his career.
1: Do the, who's the director for uh, Muse? Oh, uh, it's uh, Deepak Chopra's son. (laughs) Represent man, (laughs) get those brand references in there, man.
2: Uh, I can't remember his name, Uh, something Chopra, I know that. (laughs) Gotham, yeah, uh, Gotham, uh, Gotham uh, Chopra. Um, But yes, I would highly recommend those two Kobe documentaries as just sort of side uh, viewing uh, to sort of get you into the headspace of, of someone like Michael Jordan. Kobe was probably the, I, at least in my estimation the closest uh, anyone got to being a uh, Jordan caliber um, and so yeah I, I'd, I'd love to uh, more people to see those two documentaries.
1: You already got beef with the ownership already eh? Like two episodes in? <laughs> I
2: mean how could you not? I mean, it just seems ridiculous like if you look at it like you've got and like, there's this whole thing about them saying well you know, everyone on this team is basically in their final years. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. I mean, Pippin went on to play for how many more years after that?
1: Four or six at least. I yeah.
2: Think. So it just seemed kind of dirty to me, to, especially for to do that to a team that was just so monumental, the way those guys were.
0: It's so money. Like, as an organization, you, as a business, you don't understand the logic of that, this little let it ride man Jordan made a great point about you know like give us the right to lose the championship and that's and that once again that's, that's just insight into how much a purist he is it's just about the game and rules of engagement with the game in the purest form none of the like side business bullshit
1: I mean this is one of the things I'm looking forward to in the doc as it goes along do you think that management especially the owner was influenced because he Jordan retired for that year and a half, 18 months or whatever in the middle. So they had a trailer of what life was like without Jordan and it wasn't good. (laughs) So do you think he was kind of like once Jordan came back um, and then they won two more then, and then they were going to, obviously, they didn't know they were going to do a three-peat, but they were on their way there. Uh, But do you think that they realized like it's better to pull the plug now? So that way then we know what we're getting into because we've seen like that almost two years without what Jordan's like, and it wasn't good.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think pr- they also, I think probably realized that, you know, they were going to have this this team was going to get even more expensive for them. Um, so I figure they they probably figured they've got six or I guess five at the time, and they were going to cut their losses and and try to rebuild. But yeah, I don't know. It just it just seems seems like there's more to
0: that story. I think they need to also get into more details of like the cap structure back in those days. And what the the cap uh, was, because Jordan was making like thirty plus million, and then everybody underneath that was like, you know, I think Rodman was second at four, four plus million. So, and uh, revenues back then obviously aren't what they are today. But I do know, like back in those days, like Ewing was making around twenty million. Shaq was like making big dollars like that. And so for most of Jordan's career, except for those last two years, he was making $4 million, maybe average. But $90 million in, like, endorsements. <laughs> in endorsements. Yeah.
1: That McDonald's
2: money.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs>
1: and been signed a seven-year contract. Nobody signed to seven years now. Yeah, yeah,
0: nobody would do that
1: now. But Seven years is a crazy amount of time when you, like... Reinsdorf was kind of right. He's like, I wouldn't sign this deal. I'm like, I wouldn't sign it either. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, but he was in a tough position, right? Like, you know, with 12 family members and, you know, two that were disabled. So I kind of understand that. It's just, it's one of those tragic decisions, you know, in hindsight.
0: Well, uh, I mean, but Scotty, like after the Bulls, he, he caught some decent cash. Yeah. I think his uh, ex-wife tweeted like, yeah, we were okay after <laughs> after he left the Bulls
1: funny thing because you're talking like he is still getting paid millions like it's not like (laughs) he was just paid like 500,000 or something and they called it a day
2: yeah it was 18 million still take care of
1: his family and stuff it just wasn't like and really until Jordan came along nobody made that kind of money right like Jordan was the one who set up that whole infrastructure Mm -hmm. where people were like make like Jordan's a billionaire now partly because he owns an NBA team That's just really like unheard of. Like the amount of endorsements and stuff that Magic, uh, Bird, and even Dr. J walked away with. It's pretty paltry. It's like pretty thin. Like Mm. I know Jordan, uh, Magic and Bird did some stuff with Converse, a few other things. Walt Frazier had the Puma Clydes and stuff like that.
0: It was a good gamble on Nike's part. And it was amazing. Like he, he clocked so much cash for them. So everybody won on that one.
1: Something also to look forward to to see like Nike's involvement in all this as it gets as this starts like get bigger and bigger, um, because Nike and NBA now are just it's like a marriage now. There's no beginning and end anymore with those two things with those two organizations.
2: Yeah, I wonder if they'll really even do. I mean, do you think they'll take the time to even get into that? Uh, they they seem pretty focused on this on this one season. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I would love to hear more insight because you know it's interesting because even. Phil Knight's uh, biography, uh, Shoe Dog, uh, doesn't even get into the Jordan era. It's everything leading up to the Jordan era.
1: I know. Because <laughs> you, as I was reading it too, and you get to the last chapter, I'm like, I don't think he's going to make it. Like...
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I had the exact same concern. I was like, three quarters of the way through this, and I'm like, oh, oh, he's not. I'm like flipping to the end. I'm like, this is not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, Sammy, you've read, uh, I know this book. It's on my list to read. It's um, the the authorized, I think it's an authorized Jordan biography. I think you've talked to the author. uh, um, The Lazenby? uh, The Lazenby book. Uh, Would you recommend that to
1: people? Yeah, he wrote two books. He wrote a Michael Jordan biography called The Life. And then he wrote a Kobe biography called Showboating or Showboat. Showboat, yeah. Both of them I highly recommend, like, because he... He covered NBA for years, so he knew both of them. He had access to them. He had access to teammates. And he was also one of those, one of the few sports writers. I don't know how to put this, but he loved the game and he loved the players. Some of the, I think we'll get into it as we go along. Um, Like we saw Sam Smith in in the first episode. He was always kind of like, he had an agenda a little bit of like, I know I can like make money off of Jordan, right? And I put these books out and stuff. Remember all this then?
0: No, But yeah, he was always, there was always something a little a little questionable about him. Yeah,
1: there wasn't, uh, there wasn't the love of the game there. <laughs> <laughs> he loved the green more than he loved the game. With Roland, though, he, he has a genuine heart and really passion. Um, so he's more interested in the stories. His book also is a good companion for this documentary because as we've already alluded to, there's things they kind of skip over, like Den- when Denny mentioned the Olympic thing those kind of stories are in the biography and they kind of flesh it out. So it's like when we were back in like high school and we had to do the book report, but you don't want to read the whole book. So you just watch like the Mel Gibson Hamlet or something. And then you hand it in based on that. (laughs) So (laughs) the last dance is good as like a summation of Jordan and clearly where they're going. It's like, if you have time to read the Roland, Roland book, Michael Jordan life and Kobe Bryant showboat. I highly recommend it.
2: And uh, you have uh, an interview uh, recorded with him on uh, My Summer right? Mm. I, I think a you link can... up for that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, said put a link in that in the show notes for that.
0: I mean, so far, does anybody else see a blown opportunity here in terms of structure? <laughs> like, I don't know, like, what Jordan's um, where he kind of drew the line on this, but uh, a, a 10 episode doc, come on. Like, that should have been at least just for, you know, the 91 season or, you know, take it back even further. You can do like seasons after seasons about Jordan and then, the, and then the bulls and then the championships. So what do you guys think structurally of how it's going so far?
2: You no, know, to me, the structure wise, you know, as I was saying at the top of the, of the show is that the first two episodes clearly showed that this wasn't going to be about just Jordan and so structurally that to me seems a you know okay well there there is a potential for them to get into the weeds with other people in the story Uh, and you're right I mean there are sections of Jordan's life where like I'm like oh that's that's a whole documentary right there Um, so I feel there won't be enough time potential given to uh, some really interesting parts of, of his story. And so that, yeah, certainly is a concern uh, in terms of just what it could be, but I imagine, you know, there are, there are budgets and, you know, focus that they wanted to give to this thing. So they decided on this one season, but I mean, I do like they're, they're handling the flashbacks nicely. I like that little dial, you know, Sort of graphic that they use to go back and forth in time. Um, so I, I do appreciate that uh, structurally, but it's such a dense story, and I think they covered a lot of interesting points with so far. That I just hope that they spend the time to dive deeper into some of those uh, areas uh, before they come back to that, you know, that one season.
1: The uh, original pitch too was crazy was to follow them around for the season and they were gonna put in a traditional doc so it'd be an hour and a half hour forty five minutes. And I couldn't even imagine like (laughs) considering how much footage you have. An hour and a half.
2: Yeah, in a way, like this that that film crew that followed them is is a boon for these filmmakers now. Like I mean it would have been impossible to do the series without that footage. And I wonder, was that behind the scenes documentary the first time anything like that ever happened? Does anyone know? you can all access
1: well to follow him for the whole year that was the first time what happened was um what was his name david stern he wanted to start documenting more the nba mythology basically uh oh, brilliant,
2: so, brilliant move on his part
1: um so you and of course right as we're getting into the 80s into the 90s um all the video stuff was starting to get better the quality was starting to get better the technology was starting to get better you guys know this stuff mm-hmm. so it was just a way then to start documenting um, these things and kind of package these superstars um, so that the people could then like reference them and have the historical documents. I guess the original, like I said, the original pitch seemed to be like, they were going to follow them around for the whole season. Chop this all down to an hour and a half. And then I guess, put it up as an NBA video. Um, did, that,
2: did that ever happen?
1: No, they released a trailer in uh, 2018. Now it's the first time the ESPN released the trailer. And it was like, it's coming. And then they had a screening for the first episode during an all-star weekend. So there's all these like little dribbles kind of coming in and out here and there.
2: No, I mean, so the film crew that was filming back in the 90s during that season, um, that was for what purpose? Were were they planning on making a hour-long documentary like you're
1: saying?
2: It it would have been an NBA
1: home video, basically, what Danny was saying at the big top. Like when the Raptors won, they put out an NBA video called the 2019 Champions, and it's just like a whole bunch of highlights of the right. whole season.
2: Uh, right, so, but did they did that ever actually happen with this footage no, back then?
1: Because Jordan controlled it, and so
2: so it got shelved.
1: Yeah, so the Jordan only committed to it. He said, "I'll do it if you let me control access to it." And that was part of the reason why there was a delay. They shot everything, and then. Jordan, Jordan's main issue, and it's a weird issue, but I kind of get it. He felt that the times had shifted and that he would be looked at as mean or like he was a bully uh, to the players. And? It's kind of a, a weird thing because it's like, sometimes it makes us laugh. <laughs> Other he... times, like, Jig, you mentioned Michael Wilbon. He has a young son, Matthew. Matthew's about 12 or 15 years old. And, um... After uh, the first two episodes aired, Jordan texted uh, Wilbon and he said, tell me what your son thinks of me. Like, he had never seen him play, obviously, right? He's like a 12-year-old kid or 13-year-old kid. He's like, tell me what he thinks. Does he think I'm mean? Does he think I'm cool? You know what I mean? So, if that story's accurate, then it's like, I think that's a legitimate thing of that, like, Jordan was worried about perception. Because, like we said at the top, that Jordan didn't talk a lot. Uh, he didn't do a lot of interviews and stuff. He was always kind of operating in the shadows. He let the what he did on the court talk, but
2: especially when he's talking to Tony Kuko.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, he earned those beatings though. I gotta
2: scream at you all day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that's the quote from the yeah. from the episode.
1: It was even worse too when they um when the when Pippen and Jordan were on the Dream Team. This was in the '92 Olympics. Um, they played. Uh, what country was Tony Kuko Croatia.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Croatia. It
1: went at him the whole game and they yeah. destroyed him. <laughs> they're like, all right, you're Krauss's boy. Yep. Kraus kept going around. He's like, I have a great player. I'm, I hope this, you'll see this as this comes along. Because Krauss was like, I got Tony Kugo. She's amazing. You guys are going to be like gone. You'll, nobody will remember you guys after this. Tony's going to be like the man. And then, uh, they're like, all right, so when the Olympics came around, they're like, we're going at him. And then so when they destroyed him in the Olympics, Went back to Kraus and like, how's your boy now?
0: I I think it hurt Tony Kukoc's feelings too. Like when you watch the '92 um, (laughs) documentary, (laughs) this the uh, what do you call it, the Dream Team documentary? Like, yeah, yeah. Like I don't know why they were like (laughs) what they had against me, man. I've uh, that's one thing I regret. I watched too much stuff leading up to the documentary. I wish I just could have saw it pure.
1: You don't regret the Tony tears?
0: Well, no. I just wish, wish I saw it like in the documentary, and not in yeah. previews or things like that.
2: Well, that's the thing. It's it, we're only two episodes in, and uh, so there's uh, two episodes out of ten. So there's still plenty more for them. To plenty
0: tell. more tears to come. <laughs>
1: <laughs> tears for everybody.
2: Well, speaking of tears, so you know we we're talking about uh, Pippin and, and just his personality, and you know which ultimately fit for being number two, but. Man, Pippin as a rookie getting getting smacked around by Charles Oakley. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Oakley was mean. Yeah, he He's. not
0: like, he think mean. Jordan was mean. Oh gosh.
2: Oh my god, but he was like Wayne from the Wonder Years. Like he was just like he was everyone's bully big brother. Like if he if he loved you, he got your back. But man, he would just be oh my god. It was so weird to see Scottie Pippen get smacked in the face.
0: I mean, some of this stuff, uh, I mean, surprisingly, I thought the first episode particularly, a lot of stuff is taken from things that you might have seen in prior, uh, you know, promotional videos or NBA home video stuff. And, you know, it's great for people who don't know Michael Jordan or who didn't grow up during that time. But for maybe people who had already seen those kind of NBA videos back in the day, you kind of like, (laughs) you're watching It's like, oh, that Dean Smith interview, I saw that in the Michael Jordan video from that interview with his dad. And, you know, they put everything in good context, right? But, uh, yeah, it's hard to strike that balance, I guess, to satisfying those who kind of know and those who kind of lived through it back in the day. Yeah.
1: And the fact, too, like, I already brought up this point, but Jordan also took a break in the middle. I know he went to play baseball. You look at guys like Curry, like, who just did, was it four championships in a row or five finals in a row? Like, you get burnt out, like, trying to do this all the time because it is such a mental game. Um, and I think that Jordan took the, the time off where the Rockets won two championships in, uh, back-to-back there. I think that allowed him to do the second P to get away from
0: it. Yeah, oh, yeah, Steve Kirk currently uh he he commented that you know from his experience being with Jordan it's like it was unfathomable to all of them that you're such a huge superstar, you're such an isolated person the world like is trying to get at you every single moment. so never mind just even the energy it took to to go to the finals so many years but just to be Michael Jordan and just try to like have a sense of self uh,
1: was difficult. Do you think the Bulls would have won? Let's say the team stayed together. Rodman, Pippen, Jordan. Let's say somehow they stayed together. Because mm-hmm. The next year was an NBA lockout year, so they only played 50 games. <laughs> so you would have had load management. You would have like, had a lot more of a break and stuff like that. Do you think they would have won four in a row? Yes.
0: Sure. I mean, who won that year? It was the Spurs, right?
1: That was the beginning of the Spurs.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no problem. No problem. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even Greg Popovich, Spurs, was it?
1: Uh, I can't remember if it was Pop or not. But it was the beginning of the, that Spurs 5. Yeah, I mean, that's to me is also the other, like, I know at the time they didn't know there was going to be a lockout. But it was like, man, if they just kept it together for just one more year after this year. Yeah.
0: So when Jordan came back, you know, he came back during, like, uh, midway through the season. Or, like, in March. Yeah, in March. So not even midway. He's, like, a month till the season's done. Yeah. Right. And the following year, they like manhandled the Orlando magic of Shaq, Penny, Nick Anderson.
1: Uh, Speaking of tears, Nick Anderson.
0: <laughs> they, it, they went 4-0, if I recall correctly. And Rodman handled like Shaq yeah. like so amazingly. And Rodman's so much smaller and way, way less than Shaq. So, I don't see why they could have had a problem with Spurs, which was David Robinson.
1: I think the, the Rockets one would have been interesting if they ever met them in the finals. Mm-hmm. That would have probably been a bit of a, more of a challenge. I think the Rockets had a little bit more depth. Right. Um, they had a little bit more shooting. Um, so, I think they would have posed a bit more of a problem.
2: And speaking of Rodman, I think uh, the next episode is probably going to be entirely, or for the most part, be about him. So that's another interesting story, I think, that obviously on and off the court will uh, really bring a lot more out of this series. Um,
1: It's a funny story, too, where like um, Rodman wanted to go away. I think it was to Vegas or something, and um, Phil Jackson didn't want to let him go out without adult supervision. So he's like, Steve Kerr, you go with him. <laughs> and Steve Kerr's like, yo, uh, I don't really do this kind of Vegas thing or whatever. Like, anybody even knows Steve Kerr now? Like, he's not like really clearly a party dude. So he's like, but Phil Jackson <laughs> put Steve Kerr on him, I guess, for like responsibility. So I hope they get into that story too.
2: Yo, that is a movie that has to be made.
1: It's a buddy cop movie.
2: The, buddy, just, oh, the one night in Vegas. <laughs> That's the
1: title, yeah. What <laughs>
2: <laughs> Rodman Kerr.
1: He would have been better than that Rodman, John-Claude Van Damme movie. Oh, what you was know, that called? Double Team! Double Team. <laughs> <laughs> of course that was, was called Double Team.
2: That was Green Hair uh, Rodman, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, I think I, I think Carmen Electra makes an appearance in the documentary. She's probably gonna be in the next episode. Because What? Yeah, because I saw her, I think, maybe it was in one of the trailers. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to give Rodman quite a bit of time. Yeah, Madonna oh, should
1: there. show up as well. He was mashing that back in the day. <laughs> who was? Rodman was mashing Madonna back in the day, too. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, she yeah. should show up, too.
2: Yeah,
0: I doubt it. <laughs> it was Greg Popovich uh, who won in 99. by the way.
1: So that, and that was the first uh, beginning of the Spurs run, right? uh yes yeah the Rodman thing too is kind of a weird one because they had such great battles with the Pistons and the Bulls and that rivalry so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of position that because I know a lot of people got upset that like before the 63 point playoff game Jordan was playing golf with Danny Ainge but people also don't realize that like Jordan wasn't playing golf with Danny Ainge to like recruit him or like come play for me or whatever like he was trying to destroy Danny Ainge on the golf course. And then he went and destroyed him on the court. <laughs> There's a big difference. Yeah. Ron and Melo and stuff, they're like, I can't do this on my own. I need help. And, and yeah, the terrible. Ryan and
0: the boats together. Yeah. Well, I think, it, you know, that's Jordan playing his psychological warf- warfare early. And he did that to Barkley too in, <laughs> in the 93 uh, season.
1: By the way, Denny, did you remember this? That the six—I I was looking up the the sixty-three point playoff game. You know who was one of his teammates was George Iceman Gervin. Yes, yes. I've forgotten that he was on the Bulls <clears throat> for the sixty-three point game. He got uh, one foul and one point. That was his. Uh, he played five minutes in that game.
0: Yeah, he was at the end of his career then. <laughs> yeah. There are stories where Jordan kind of bullied him too. So he did not respect his elders
1: enough. One thing he could no longer do was finger roll.
0: <laughs> Back in those days, it's got to be highlighted that the center was the center of the game. Mm-hmm. Right? And to have a shooting guard come in and dominate in such a fashion is just completely uh, way more rare. And even uh, even after Jordan centers were the thing,
1: well, that was what made Pippen so unusual too. Pippen didn't really have a proper position. Mm. He was kind yeah. of doing a little bit of point guardy stuff. He was doing a little bit of small forwardy kind of stuff, um, and he was also He's, like guarding centers and things like that. Like he was kind of all over the place. He was like that prototype.
0: Now LeBron. He, yeah. LeBron. Yeah.
1: Nowadays, they kind of draft players without a proper position. Like, stuff like Draymond Green and stuff like that. We're like, we'll just put him in somewhere. And then, but Pippen was the first one where, like, he doesn't really kind of fit in with traditional, like, so that that was the thing, too, with the team. The basketball itself was starting to evolve. The way that Phil Jackson coached him, also the way they assembled the team.
0: Yeah, you combine up the triangle. It was not, uh, what in that 90s run, they didn't have really a dominant center. And it just, over the years, it kind of got <laughs> weaker and weaker. The like from Bill Cartwright to uh, <laughs> Luke Longwood. Bill Wellington, <laughs> Bill You know, yeah. Like sprinkle part, like, some Will Perdue.
1: Yeah, Bill looks like he's in the Sons of Anarchy or something with that handlebar, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he got rough looking, man.
2: Speaking of uh, Phil Jackson, what do you guys have to say about uh, his appearances in the documentary so far?
0: The funny thing uh, is, is that. You know, the segment, they were when they were talking about the Jerry Krause situation, they used Phil's interview, how, you know, he was saying Scotty was berating him in front of everybody, that they had to tell Scotty to cool it down. But there are stories where Phil did the exact same thing to Jerry Krause too. So I'm I'm wondering if they'll get into that more in the documentary later.
1: Phil is very much like Jordan in that he tries to control the narrative.
2: Also, a lot of Phil Jacksons, uh, I mean, at least... uh, since he's left, left the game, the impression you get is that he's sort of the Zen master who shows people art films and things like that to meditate and all that stuff. But it'd be interesting to see more of the man
1: in the heat of battle. There's one, I, can't, I think it was a playoff game. I don't think it was a finals game. But there was a playoff game where the Bulls lost. and Phil Jackson was furious with the team. And What he did was he took moments from the game and he spliced it together with scenes from Wizard of Oz to show that the team was playing with no brains, no heart, <laughs> no guts. Brutal. Brutal. And I'm like, well, that's why you win a lot, man. Like, when you see that, like, I don't know how else you don't feel bad for yourself. I'm like, why did you let this defensive guy go by? Like, why did you blow this defensive rotation? Those kind of things are like, all right.
2: You know, he I was angry. Uh, to have made a video like that because back then it would have been like tape to tape to edit that thing together
1: oh yeah i'm sure he had that young intern somewhere in the back like i need this by 11 a.m tomorrow for practice work i mean it. it can't
0: help makes you think about you know over the past couple of decades the the psychological shifts in success or what we deem as success or happiness the old school mentality, as they call it nowadays, is like, back then, shame <laughs> was the biggest motivator for anybody who wanted to succeed. And now the psychology has shifted, uh, whether it's more effective or not. I guess, you know, nobody's nobody gets their feelings hurt nowadays, or at least less. Uh, but I don't know. It's just really interesting. I don't know what to think of it. Because we grew up in that that time frame too, right? Like suck it up. Right? So, and it's not like we're not, we're we're not cold hearted people, but at the same time, it's, it it is odd to kind of be able to experience that psychology growing up and then how things are today. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on that?
1: Wait, do you consider then Jordan mean then? Or how, like, that's the narrative or that's kind of going out there. So how would you classify yeah. Jordan?
0: See, in the context of today, they would call him mean.
1: That's his worry.
0: And that's his worry because I think, okay, if you look at the psychology of the man himself, he's sort of like, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe he's just stuck in a motion picture in a way. He lived uh, as this, you crazy superstar basketball player. And so his image was kind of a part of his own self image. How others perceived him was all he kind of knew because there was so much attention for so many years. And then when it's kind of like, almost like a parent who becomes an empty nester, when the kids are gone, you're like, well, well what am I now? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of, um, you know, in a, in that sense, you know, psychologically, he's a little stuck in time. He only knew himself as the guy who had the spotlight. And so, yeah, I'm not sure where I'm going with this exactly, but it's just more like... Well, I, I
2: think there's something there for sure. I mean, the, you know, with... with I'm trying to choose my words carefully. I don't want to sound like an old man complaining about millennials, but... Um, but there is a shift that has been a psychological shift and I do think it has made people softer, it's made the culture softer and I think that speaks to, uh, you know, being a generation that's not been through a lot of tough things. Uh Historically speaking, uh, you know, the current, you know, pandemic aside, we've had it pretty easy and, you know, And sort of parenting and and sort of what success means has shifted in this past, you know, 20, 30 years uh, to take a much more holistic, call it, or softer approach, which I think um, day-to-day may be fine. But when you're trying to do very difficult, hard things, I don't think that that process or that, that, you know, philosophy necessarily... Uh, is as effective as just get shit done and don't complain. You know, I, I think it's just it's born of coming out of a difficult place and learning to do difficult things um, and learning to be self sufficient. Uh, you know, so it's I, I definitely see what you're saying there, there is a shift and I think it's uh, it's a generational thing and you know maybe there's no there's no good or bad in it but I do feel that if you want to do extremely difficult things in this context, like Michael Jordan did, um, you, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's like, you know, it's like Steve Jobs was known for being a jerk, but he brought the best out of people in the end because he had a vision. And I think Jordan and Bill Gates too, you know, these are guys who, had visions for what they wanted to do in this world. And they had to pull people kicking and screaming along to get this done. Because not everyone is made, made up of that stuff, you know? And, uh, and sometimes people do need someone yelling at them, <laughs> Tony, <laughs> um, to, to get their ass in gear. Um, so uh, I think it's fascinating. And but I, you're right to, to wonder how this is going to play out for Michael now because because the culture is what it is he may be seen as being mean but I mean I don't think he should worry about that to be honest.
1: Do the ends justify the means because Bill Willington has like rings multiple rings Whereas like Barkley has none Uh, John Stockton has none like uh, there was a lot of all the Knicks none like do the ends justify the means then was Jordan kind of right in that way
2: I think in the context of this of basketball, uh, you know, where I don't think it was a life and death situation. Uh, sure, I mean, you know, you have to consider the the people he was working with as well, right? Not everyone on the team was was Scottie Pippen.
0: Yeah, even up at the front office, same deal. No, but you, you know, those those are really great points, actually. And it is it is sports, and it is the closest thing to simulated war if you're not actually
2: in literally that's that's what it is right i mean that's historically in ancient times that's what sports was right
0: yeah for sure and yeah it it does bring out you are doing physical things and you're trying to win so is there going to be added testosterone to the situation absolutely i don't know what it's like nowadays uh in the arenas maybe there is ways to find success without being so harsh i don't know but in terms of what was asking do the i don't know because i'm sure jordan wasn't the only guy who was rough on his teammates i'm sure barkley
1: he turned the face (laughs) yeah but you know (laughs) everybody everybody kind
0: of in
2: the 80s was probably pretty miserable too um say that again the Pistons, they were probably a miserable team to be on.
0: Yeah, potentially, right? They could have been a good to deal with scuffles then. And Barkley was a roughneck too. I'm sure he, he gave it to his guys as well.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: um, Jordan, like, I guess even from, a, you know, from every kind of level, he backed it up with his actions. He's just not yelling at you because he likes to yell at people, but he needs everybody to be on board and everybody to be like 100% focused.
1: It's interesting because you guys come out of film and we don't apply the same leadership rhetoric to the way directors work. Like James Cameron works a completely different way with the actors and with the crew than Quentin Tarantino does to, like, you pick any other director. Those are high-pressure situations as well with millions of dollars on the line. And, like, sometimes the director just yells and, like, you suck. Yeah,
2: you (laughs) You know what I mean? like.
1: I don't know why in sports it's bad that Jordan's this way, but then we don't talk about directors or the other, you know what I mean?
2: Right. I mean, you know, there is a filmmaking and the the actual act of making a movie often gets uh, compared to war, which, you know, know, take it for what it is. Um, You know, people use a lot of those same metaphors. Um, And yeah, I mean, there are guys who, I remember hearing stories about the filming of Titanic and the crew that worked on that film made T-shirts that, that said, you know, you can't scare me. I work for James Cameron. And, you know, he was a tyrant, but he was also trying to do something that had never been done before and it succeeded. I mean, you know, here's the thing, like, a lot of this comes down to the fact that they ultimately did succeed. If, if they hadn't, then I think it would be a, a slightly different conversation, but you know, It just comes down to the the moment in time, I think.
1: It'd be interesting. I don't know if there's a way to do it. There probably isn't. But it'd be interesting to compare the way that Jordan leads now as the owner of the Charlotte Hornets. He must be so frustrated. That team sucks. It sucked for years. He also had to figure out leadership as well. And this is part of the, I think, one of the more interesting aspects of the doc is that leadership is not always natural to everyone. You got to figure out the way that you do it and the way that you motivate. There was mistakes or things that he would have preferred to do differently. It's like, it's too late. It's already out there. And like, he made Tony Kukoc cry. There's no way around it. Right. So it's like, you can't take it back. Uh, but it would be interesting to compare how he got better or worse as a leader going from a player to an owner.
2: I mean, I would think he's probably matured. And I don't know that he it bring, uh, applies the same you know, leadership strategies in, in a business setting as you would, you know, on the court. Um,
1: he cuffed the player on the back of the head. <laughs> Remember that, Denny? When uh, one of the, I forgot which charner player it was, but he cuffed him on the back of the head. Oh, right, right, right. Um, I was, it's something monk. is it Malik Monk? Yeah, it was a Monk, I think it was. He, he did a terrible play. <laughs> he deserved the cuff on the head, though. So I agree
0: yeah. with that leadership. But it was, it was much more gentle than his 98 cuff in the head.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, he punched Steve Kerr in the face. <laughs> <laughs> this is also, I think, too, the thing that we do with like comedy. A couple of years ago, like literally like 2015, 2016, or 2017, the two Eddie Murphy specials were on Netflix. They hadn't been on Netflix for a little while. And they kind of made a push for it. It was delirious and raw. And people were offended that, and one of them, or both of them, he used the word retarded, that was the issue now. We're like, all the other language and all the other things are like acceptable, but you use the word retarded, and that's what's like. You know well, what I, mean? that, I
2: think that speaks to just where, like we like were saying earlier, the culture has gotten so soft and like, you know, everyone's offended for everything. So,
1: that's, I think also too, like, I think like you can't use the the modern standards. Yeah, I mean, to your point about the.
2: You know, people being offended by the by the the retard stuff. It, you know, it's it's like that question that everyone keeps asking, and you know, Jordan has addressed it. Where it's like, well, you know, how would he compare to LeBron? You know, who's who's the best of all time? And you know, Jordan's usually pretty, you know, modest about it. And he's like, well, you know, they, they were different eras, and you know, that's what I think what we're talking about here is that, you know, it was a different era, it was a different time, and so you can't really apply, and you shouldn't really apply, you know, today's uh, political or moral standards to uh, a bygone time, mm. no, no matter how recent it, it, it was, historically speaking. Um, so I think, you know, people need to sort of kind of Take a broader view of these things and and really try to understand you know the context
1: the context is everything right one of the more fascinating aspects too and i hope that people walk away what like who watch the documentary walk away with this is that jordan actually was one of the few times where the hype was actually equal to the work a lot of times you get hype or like um and we've seen this too with like players like lebron james and stuff come in and like i'm calling myself the king. And I'm like, dude, you haven't even played in the playoffs yet and much less won a championship. You're not the king of, like, anything. But I'm going to wear 23. I'm going to wear yeah. Jordan's number. I'm yeah, like, and then yeah, I'm going to join the Lakers. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's some weeks off is, there.
1: Yeah.
0: It's com- p- completely, like, don't get me started. It's just so fabricated and so. Yes.
2: it's manufactured. Uh,
0: Yes, yes, that's the word,
2: yeah. It's not only, it's just, it's manufactured, but it's, it's telegraphed, and it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, well, this is the blueprint that Michael created. These guys get into college, and they're, and some in some, you know, from high school, but they say, okay, well, this is the blueprint, and I'm just going to do this, and I'm going to be called this, and I'm going to wear this shoe and this number. And, like, Michael Jordan earned every single one of those parts of his his career every single i mean not a one thing was not unearned so it's it's almost embarrassing to watch you know especially when guys like lebron decide well i'm gonna wear number 23 so you know so he basically is associating himself with with the greatness of michael and thinking that that's enough and it's not your numbers are great but you're at the end of the day the man who had, has transcended the game, and no one since has done it the way he has. And I'm talking about sports in general. I mean, Jordan truly transcended the sports and became something other than sports. And now you just see people trying to make that happen. It's kind of like, you know, everyone's trying to make a Star Wars movie right? Like, that's essentially what's happened to movies, right? And, um but, you know, Star Wars was a hard-earned win for, for George Lucas. And just because you followed all the steps with marketing and toys and all that doesn't make you great. And um so, yeah, it was just a different era. And I, I think we're going to definitely see how the media was a big part of this story as well.
1: Jordan's incredibly charismatic. Like, even if you didn't... For somehow, if you were... If you didn't know who he was and you didn't know anything about basketball, but that dude walked into the room, you'd be like, that guy's somebody. Like, yeah. there's a way that he carries himself, the, the smile, all that stuff. Swagger. Yeah. Like, that dude is somebody. Like, he was built for this.
0: Well, I mean, it, just the way the guy dressed. Like, it was crazy. I mean, when I was watching Jordan uh, I was in what the eighth grade I remember I had this GQ cover of Jordan and that was one of the reasons why I would walk into school with ties and trench coats at like age 13 because he just those are just cool ass motherfuckers
2: well I mean Jordan I mean was certainly if not the one of the players that changed the game in terms of fashion off the court right um he was clean cut for sure, but he he also had a, a great sense of style. I mean, were there any NBA players on the cover of GQ before then? I don't know, uh, but uh, probably not.
1: Well, Clyde Frazier, Clyde Frazier, right. yeah.
2: But I mean, just I mean, look at the like the beanies and the berets and.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. no, uh, Frazier too was like he did that. He was a '70s New York City Knicks like New York Knicks player. But he did like he dressed like a pimp, so <laughs> it was the opposite end of the spectrum. It was all like leopard and fur coats, still smooth, still swagger, but not quite like
2: I can't not rock that. Car. Like, yeah.
1: then you were not going to school in like leopard.
2: No, but he had the two tone shoes.
1: Oh, the two tone shoes, yeah. <laughs> what is it, the twenty first twenty first century blazer?
2: Yeah, the the uh, Century 21 Blazer.
1: Century 21 Blazer. That's
0: right. I was trying to be like Elvis, so I wore my brother's real estate agent jacket to high school.
1: <laughs> oh, man.
2: Yeah, I think we're good, man. I think we've covered quite a bit.
1: So uh, we can wrap it up. I guess so basically what we summed up is that if I got this right, if I've listened to this conversation correctly, that uh, Jerry Corrales is basically – like the FBI agents and die hard. We'll take it from here. Right. So Jordan and the team are out there pulling glass out of their feet, <laughs> taking out bad guys. And Jerry Krause is like, the FBI guys is like, we'll take it from here. So is that about right?
2: Certainly. I think, uh, definitely that seems to be the de- story dynamic here. And, um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, uh, especially since Krause is no longer here to see how that will all be treated. And, uh, and it's certainly I think grindsdorf has a lot to answer to for too.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping the uh, the show will get into, or the, the series would get into more of there was a little nugget of you know Jordan was talking about the root of his competitiveness was based on his family dynamics, especially with his brother Larry, and mm. that really kind of like opened a window that you didn't ever really see. So I hope they kind of dig even more into things like that.
2: For yeah. sure, yeah that 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 whole aspect of the, of the early uh, upbringing was fascinating. So, and he did mention that you know anger was his motivation for a lot uh, of the stuff he did. So that, I hope they do uh, delve into that, the source of that anger.
1: Yeah, he wore twenty three because when he was on the high school team, his brother wore, Larry wore forty five. He wore 23 because it was half of his brother's number because he thought he was half the basketball player that his brother was.
0: That's interesting. I didn't know that.
1: I didn't know that. I was kind of like sad that they didn't bring that up because it's like that's a pivotal, like, that was a key thing. And that was one of the reasons why he wore 45 when he first came back was because, like, he wanted to kind of give a nod to his brother as well. Like, it was a kind of a layered thing.
0: Right. Um, See, and that's kind of where, like, (laughs) there's so many ways you could have done this series. And, you know, maybe next time we can talk about it more, but as we see how it progresses, but um, it's, just a, it's still early to say, but there's just a lot of nuggets and you hope that they kind of really expand on them as it moves on. And even just one thing, now that they've opened the doors to, to the cussing and they really kind of say, hey man, he's a bad motherfucker. I want to see more on-court footage of the trash talking.
2: Yes. That would, that be, would be
0: amazing.
2: amazing. 100%. Um, on that note, Sammy, why don't you take us out with uh, one of your favorite hip hop lyrics that have uh, Jordan name checked in it?
1: Oh, oh, let's do um, Jay and Kanye. All right, hit it. All right, Psycho. I'm liable, I'm liable to go. Michael, take your pick. Jackson, Tyson, Jordan. Game six. Also so hard, got a broken clock. There you go.
2: There you go. And I think that lyric sums up the the series as well. Uh, this was fun, guys. Uh, I uh, look forward to talking to you guys about episodes uh, three and four uh, next week. Yep.
1: So Thank we'll you. We'll be back for another episode. Uh, my name has been Sammy Yunin.
2: Danny Chan. And Chikar All
1: right. And we'll be back.
2: Peace. Peace.